Good morning, everyone. Uh, man, I'm just overtaken by God's presence this morning. Uh, there's such a, an amazing, amazing move of God. She's a little bit excited about that move of God as well, you know. Uh, uh, I just really believe that that God is here in this place this morning, and I just want to be able to to flow with what the Holy Spirit is doing and not come and interrupt at all His move. And uh, and I want to tell you guys something, you guys that are at home, you guys that are here today, I want to let you know that there's something holy behind what we're doing here today. It's just much more than just coming together to gather because it's Sunday morning and that's what we're supposed to do. There's uh, a holiness behind this. There's something of God so great behind this gathering, us coming as a church to, to worship, to meet together. It's something that goes beyond us, and we're going to read that a little bit today. It goes beyond us now in this time, in 2021, something that started centuries and centuries ago, and, uh, and it started small. It didn't sound, it start big at all. It started uh, with a bunch of guys that were running away and fearful for her, their lives, thinking that you know, they were getting chased down because their leader, Jesus, at that moment had been crucified. And these guys are hiding and they're just uh, afraid and uh, all these things happening. And all of a sudden, Jesus, you know, resurrects from the dead and uh, he meets all these guys, all these group of people that used to follow him. The Bible says that over 500 people met him when he resurrected, you know, and uh, all of a sudden, all these people that were fearful on the day of Pentecost, they get filled with the Holy Spirit, and they get so unfired for God. They get so passionate about God that they are not afraid to lay down their lives for what they're following. They don't, they're not afraid of laying down their lives for their belief. They're not afraid of laying down their life for Jesus. You know, last night we were driving home, and my son was going through a uh, 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 in, in the internet, he was looking at the most painful things that could happen to a human being and the different levels of, 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 of pain that you could have. And in one of that, the highest level of pain is to die uh, by fire. I, I don't know if you guys knew that, but if you get burned alive, is the highest level of pain of everything that was on the list. For example, I'm going to compare it. To get stabbed Okay, it was a nine. To die by fire, it was a 70, just to give you an idea. All right, just the level of pain. And when I read church history, and I was in the kitchen a second ago, and they were asking me, you know, about, you know, my background and, and biblical studies and all this, and my passion is in church history. And as I study church history uh, in that first century, second century, third century, the church was being persecuted. And the Christians were being put to death. And, uh, and I'm a parent. And one of the things that they would do is that they would get the kids of those that were following Christ. And they would take them into the Roman Colosseum or, you know, some sort of amphitheater if there was. And they used to put their kids and tie them up to stakes. All right? And they would tell the parents for them to renounce their faith in Christ or they would burn their kids alive in front of them. I don't know how many parents here would have a faith so strong to see your kids suffering in front of you and you saying, you know what, I'm not going to be moved from my faith. Go ahead and you can burn them. You imagine that. And that was a great conviction that these first time believers had that listen to what history says, that as they were getting burned alive, they would sing 
to God and they would worship God and raise their hand because they knew that they were entering something that was far greater than what they were living here in this world. We imagine that. And then I look at our faith sometimes today and I see it so weak compared to what some people went through to get the ball to where we are at today. A lot of us, if it's a rainy morning, we'll be like, I'm staying home. I'm not going to church today because I might get wet. You know, my shoes might get wet. When people gave their lives, you know, to gather, to meet, to be the church. So today we're not here. We're not coming to church. We are the church, guys. We are the church. And this world needs the church and we need to get our hearts on fire. If I have a prayer for Numa Church is that our hearts will be set on fire, that we would have a greater passion for God on a daily basis and that we will not settle, like Pastor Max was saying, for less, that we would go for more every time because I believe that the things that happened in the Scriptures, that we're not there just to stay there, just to say, oh, look what God did back then. I really believe God will do that now and do greater things now. He just needs people that will believe Him with all their hearts. I see young people here this morning. I see kids that are here this morning. I want to let you know something. There's no limit even to your age. God could do such radical and great things in your lives. If you guys just surrender and say, God, I'm going to go after you. You see, I gave my life to the Lord at 18 and I look back and I'm like, man, I wish I would have done that maybe when I was like, you know, 10, 11 years old, 12 years old. Man, I wish I would have had a, a greater passion for God when I was in high school. Man, if I would have had the passion that I had at 18 or 19 when I was 13 or 14 or 15, I would have set my school on fire for God. But God knows the time that he meets us. And what I'm here this morning trying to tell each and every one of you guys is that God wants to encounter you right where you're at. He wants to encounter you right there where you're at, and he wants to set you on fire for his kingdom because you are his agent of change and transformation in this world right now. The Bible says you are an ambassador of God. Oh, he wants to use you in my church. So this is holy. This is a holy gathering. And I'm just up here and praying to God, Lord, don't let me mess this up that you're doing here today. Let me just go with the flow of Holy Spirit and use me to do what you want to do this morning. There should be a sense of reverence in our hearts when we approach God, when we come as a spiritual family. I had the opportunity years ago, about two years ago, to be in Israel, in Jerusalem, and find this little place in a little field where they say that that's where that the disciples were meeting in that last supper. To find the place where they say that that's where the Holy Spirit fell. And it's not the traditional place that we always go and we call it the upper room. And that place was constructed later on, okay, in the times, you know, probably like in the, in the, in the first, uh, in the year 1000 or 1100. But this place that I went to was like a hideaway place. It was like a cave. It went downstairs. Actually, it's on top of a hill, so that would have been a high place back in the early church. And when I walked in there, I told the Lord, Lord, could this be the place where the church started? A place of humble beginnings, a place of hiding, a place of 
there's dirt all over this place. And I got everybody that was there, and I told them, let's go down there. We're going to have a moment of prayer. And actually, there were some tunnels. And you know that. Some of you guys know I have, like, this whole thing of archaeology and everything. I'm like, man, I'm going down that tunnel. I'm like, you don't know what's at the end. I'm like, I don't care, man. I'm going to use my phone flashlight, you know what I'm saying, and go down there. And I went through some tunnel that went from, like, here to there. And all of a sudden, you would climb up, and there would be, like, this manhole that you climb. And they said, that's how... They, they prepared that so that they could escape. If they were coming this way to persecute them, they would run down that tunnel and then go up into the streets of the city and just run. That's how our faith started. So today we're here in a series called We Are Numa, and we're talking about our church and our spiritual family, and it's awesome what God is doing here in this place. I'm just grateful to God for what he's doing. But I know that there's a great, if I could use the word tradition in a good way, that we need to make sure that we run our race and we run it well. Because the people that went before us, man, they ran. And I don't know if my race is even close to compared to the race that some of these guys ran. And we're going to talk about that in a second. So in this series, we've talked about what makes us special as a spiritual family. Last week, we talked about our vision, you know, and, and, a, and a teaching called, What Are You Seeing? And today, I'm going to talk to you guys, okay, about our culture. That's why I put my shirt that says culture. Jimmy, this is a heat shirt that says culture right here. Not a Laker shirt, all right? A heat shirt, all right? It says culture, all right? Can't wait for today's all-star game, you know, basketball all-star game. I'm going to be pumped looking at that. But something that our team here in Miami has been known for is the culture. And they always talk about the heat culture and the culture that they have. And that you're going to come here to Miami and you're not going to be playing games because Pat Riley's going to make sure that you're working, you're, you know, you're tailed off, you know, that you're going hard after you and that there's no fooling around. There's a culture in place. Well, I want to let you know something this morning. There's a culture here at Numa Church that makes us what we are. There's a culture that is set in place. And we're going to talk about that culture this morning because I really believe that it makes us understand a little bit of who we are. And what we do. Now, the first teaching that I did, okay, on this series is called A Breath of Fresh Air. Because I said that Numa was a breath of fresh air. A breath of fresh air. Now, I was talking to some people along that week, and they were telling me, Pastor, it's amazing that you use that analogy. Because that's what we feel when we come into this place. We feel that we could breathe. Isn't it difficult when you can't breathe? Actually, some people in COVID have died because they can't breathe out of pneumonia. And they can't get the air that they need into, into their lungs. They can't breathe. Actually, I asked the church for prayer uh, week, weeks ago for my aunt. And I was saying that my aunt was having a live battle right now with COVID and her lungs and everything. And they had, it, they had her on a respirator. And that respirator was doing the work for 100% of her breathing because she couldn't breathe on her own. Isn't it horrible when you can't breathe? When you're suffocating? I, I, let me tell you, I think dying by fire is bad, but I think that dying by not being able to breathe is just as bad, you know, like drowning or something like that. That must be a horrible death. Because, guys, isn't it good to be able to, like, man, get, come on, you could like, breathe a little bit. You know, I remember playing back in the days, and our coach used to run us. 
He said, run us after practice. He would make us do like 10 suicides and UCLA. And I used to hate it. And I remember they would tell, put your hands over your head so you could breathe better. That opens your lungs. And I'd be like walking around like, I don't feel no lungs opening up, man. I can't breathe anything. <laughs> it's like, you're dying. But you're able to breathe. It's so good. So today's teaching, okay, I've called it a culture of fresh air. A culture of fresh air. If you're taking notes, write that down. And we're going to read a scripture found in Acts 11, verse 19. Acts 11, 19. If you guys could go there with me. Acts 11, 19 through 26. And it says this. Meanwhile, the believers who have been scattered during the persecution. Why had they been scattered? Because of all persecution. The believers who had been scattered because of the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. And the power of the Lord was with them. And a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. When the church of Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw this evidence of God's blessing and was filled with joy. And he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. Now, re look at this part. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. Okay, so this is a very important part of Scripture that we just read here, okay? And it's not talking about the church in Jerusalem. It's talking about a church in a place called Antioch, okay, which was in Syria back then. Today it's actually in Turkey, all right? But there was something special about this church here in Antioch, okay? The culture that manifested in that church in Antioch was a culture that answered Jesus' prayer of bringing heaven to earth. That's what was happening in that church. What was happening in that church, listen, was so amazing that the church from here on out that gets highlighted is not the church in Jerusalem anymore. From this point on, the church that gets highlighted in the book of Acts is that church of Antioch because the church of Jerusalem was being so persecuted that the disciples had to go to different places. So this church here in Antioch, listen to this, it was not a place of revival, it was a place of a movement. A revival is when something's been happening, it dies out, and then you set it on fire again. A movement, it was something starts for the first time. And this church in Antioch was a movement. It was the first missionary church. It was the first Okay, it was an apostolic church. They sent leaders, they sent offerings. There were prophets, there were teachers in this church. They were solid in word, but they were also prophetic. It was amazing what God was doing in this church. And it was so powerful. 
pay attention to this, that the label or the title or the name that you and I get today as Christians was first given to those believers in the church of Antioch. Because when the people in that city saw them, they said, these are Christians. The word Christians is the word Christianos, which means little Christ or follower of Christ. So when they would see those people, they were like, that's a follower of Christ right there. Can you imagine the culture that they were setting in that city that just by their walk, they would compare them to Jesus? People that did not know him. People that had not heard of Jesus would see these people and say, hey, we've heard of this Jesus. Jesus must have been like these dudes right here. Like these guys. Can we have that kind of walk? Can we live that kind of culture? That when people see us, they're like, man, being with you must be like being with Jesus. Talking to you must be like talking to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And that's what was happening with this church at Antioch. And in this moment, their way of manifesting the life of the kingdom here on earth made such an impact on that city that that whole city was set on fire for God. It was a fresh air culture. It was a different culture. It was something different that was going on in that place. And let me tell you something, church. That's what Numa is all about. Numa Church is about that fresh air culture. Numa Church is about being a different type of church. And I don't have no problem with all the other churches, but God has called us to live according to a culture that would manifest the kingdom of heaven here on this earth. That would be a little different than what we see and that what we hear. Let me tell you something. Numa is about a fresh air culture. And I want to talk to you about culture because culture is strong, guys. Culture runs deep, guys. All right? I think most everybody here in this room is probably Hispanic this morning. Almost everybody. Probably like 97% of everybody here. And probably a bunch of you guys that are watching online too. Let me tell you that Hispanic culture is so strong. It is so strong. You talk about my Cuban people. They could be, they could be in Israel. Like we went to Israel. A few years ago, and a couple that went with us, they brought their Cuban coffee with them to Israel. And you know what they did? They couldn't plug the coffee maker in the room, okay, because it was a different voltage. And you know what they did? They plugged the coffee maker in the hallway of the hotel. And you would walk into the 11th floor and you would just smell Cuban coffee. And like, what in the world is going on here? I got off the elevator, I'm like, I feel like I'm in La Carreta, but I'm in Israel, you know? What is going on? And I see two Cuban people standing the same way they stand outside the little stand, outside the little window, you know what I'm saying? Just standing in the hallway, drinking coffee, you know? I thought they were going to bring pan con mantequilla and dip it in there. You could be in any part of the world, and the Cubans are going to have their culture. Oh, man, it's not going anywhere. Colombians are going to have their culture, too. And Venezuelans are going to have their culture. And our Latin people, the culture is strong. You know, you want to talk about the Chinese? Chinese got strong culture, man. Man, there's a Chinese restaurant next to every Publix here in this city. You want to go to Publix right there in that strip? There's a Chinese restaurant, right? Actually, when we travel, we don't look for the Chinese restaurant. We look for Publix, and we know there's going to be a Chinese restaurant right there next to it. 
<laughs> like, we want to eat Chinese where there's a public at, you know, right there. Isn't that funny, right? But it's true. And listen, you go to New York, there's a place called Chinatown. In the middle of New York City, guys, it don't look like New York. It looks like China. And they have Italian town in New York, too. You go over there, you got to be careful, man. You might have like Al Pacino, you know, and a couple of dudes coming after you. That Italian culture is strong. And you have different cultures, even within a nation. Well, let me tell you something. There's a kingdom culture also. There's a kingdom culture that the citizens of heaven should manifest wherever they go. And Numa Church, that culture is part of who we are. Listen to this, guys. Culture is established by the values a group of people or community hold dear or live out on their day-to-day basis. I'm going to repeat that. Culture is established by the values a group of people or a community holds dear and live out on a day-to-day basis. It becomes part of them. It becomes part of them. Okay? Us Latins, we don't need to try to force it. It just comes out. It's who we are. It's part of it. All right? The number one thing that shapes your culture is values. What you value determines what you do. What you value determines what you do. So in other words, values matter. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay? Values matter. In 2009, I'm going to go a little bit back in history here. My wife and I were asked to pastor this church. And when they asked us to pastor this church... I really didn't know what to say, to be very honest with you, because there was not a healthy culture that was in place at that very moment. That's all I got to say there. There wasn't a really healthy culture. It was sort of toxic. And, and, and in that toxic culture, you know, we had lost trust. We had lost transparency. It's hard when you can't trust people, guys. It's so hard when you don't even trust your own shadow and you got to be looking back. You know what I'm saying? It's difficult. You need to be in a place that, you know, you could trust the leadership. You could trust what's going on. And, and, and that had been lost because of things that happened. And then there was a, a spirit of competition. Which leader was better than the other leader? And what leader had more people than the other leader? I know that only happened in this church. I know that doesn't happen in any other church in this city. You know what I'm saying? But if the leader had a lot of people under them, then he was a great leader. And if that leader had like four or five people following him, like, boy, this guy needs to learn. You know, and there was that set of, of, of sense of competition and, and gossip. And, and let me tell you something. I hate gossip. Gossip could destroy things. I hate gossip. And I hate gossip in the church. It, it, it sucks. It destroys us. Sorry for my language. I just don't find any other verbiage to say. That. Gossip sucks. We're not called to gossip. We're called to build each other up and to edify each other up. We're not called to be backbiting and speaking behind this person's back or, or, or that person's back. So that was part of the culture that, that had been set in place because of situations and, and circumstances. And there was a culture of death. And money took a wrong place in the hearts of people and the leadership. And that was a church that was brought to us to pastor. And you know what's the crazy thing? My wife and I said yes. 
I don't know if we did it because we were naive or stupid or what. But we said, we'll do it. And I look back, I'm like, man, I shouldn't have answered that quick. You know, it's like, but I actually when pastor came to us and like, what do you do this? I go, I need to go and pray. And I need to make sure that this is what God wants for us to do in this season of our lives. You know, at that time, we had Hadassah, she was little, she was about two years old. David was not even a year old, he was about 10 months old. So we're like, we have little kids, imagine the responsibility of taking on this church and being able to, to do this. So we left. We went to North Carolina and we went to pray. And we went to ask God if this is what he wanted us to do in this season of our lives. And I remember when I got there to North Carolina, I was like, Lord, you need to confirm this because this is not going to be easy. And I'm a little adventurous. And I told my wife, babe, tomorrow morning I found this mountain. You know, it's all the way over there in the, in the you know, there's this highway that you take and it's so beautiful. And, and it's the highest place in all of North Carolina, Tennessee, all this area here. This is the highest place. It's called Mount Pisgah. Mount Pisgah is the place where Moses had gone up and where he saw the promised land. For, so that was the name of that mountain. And I told my wife, babe, we're going to climb up there. And, and we're just going to go and we're going to ask God if this is what he had. Why didn't I tell the Lord to tell me that in the hotel room? You know what I'm saying? Why do I have to go climb up there? But that's the way that I am. So I'm like, babe, we're going to go up there. We're going to do this. We didn't have a backpack. We didn't have hiking shoes. We didn't have water. All right. My wife went up there with coach shoes. And instead of a backpack, una pañalera, you know, like the ones that you put the diapers in for the baby. And we put two sandwiches in there and we set it up. And a speaker, of course, that we needed to worship, you know, put a speaker in there. Because back then it wasn't the iPhone, it was the iPod. And the iPod wouldn't play by itself. You needed to have like some sort of speaker to, to play. So we start climbing. I actually have this on video, man. I need to bring that video one day. You got to see it. Because my wife is fighting with me on the way up. And I'm filming. And I'm like, baby, you're coming out on film, right? She's like, how long is it going to take to get up there? Where is this place? I'm like, you see that place over there? And she goes, yeah, that's where we're going. And she goes, and how do we get there? Well, we got to start walking down this track over here. And it's going to start turning and turning and curving until we get over there. She goes, how do you think we're going to get from here to over there? We're going to walk. And it wasn't a, a man-man trail. It was one of those trails that you got to move the trees to the side and stuff like that. And as we're going up, this lady that is pregnant with two little kids just passes right by us. And I'm like, babe, if that pregnant lady's doing that, I'm doing that too. We're getting up there. <laughs> you know, when pregnant American ladies, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, man, that lady's tough, man. She'd probably go down on a bike or something, you know? I'm climbing up there and having my moment with my wife. And I'm like, baby, let's pray. And we're talking and everything. And we finally, after about three and a half hours, all right, <laughs> we got up there. And when we got up there, to our surprise, there was about 40 people that were up there. On a little, little, you know, overlook, you know, over all those mountains, which is beautiful. There's like 40 people there. And I'm like, we're going to look like a bunch of crazy people if I take out my speakers right now and just start pumping worship music here. You know, and God, which is so perfect, you know what he did? It started raining and it started raining and everybody's like, oh, no, we got to leave. And, uh, and they're leaving. And my wife is like, we're going to leave. I'm like, no, we're getting under that tree and we're going to wait for it to stop raining. and We're going to go back out there again because it, it took a long time to get up here. 
And you know what happened? In about 10 minutes, we were the only people that were left up there. Everybody else was gone. And I told my wife, now this is the Moses moment that I was waiting for. This is that encounter moment that I, so I'm like, before we get to the prayer, let's eat our sandwiches, you know, because I don't know how long this thing is going to go for. So we got our sandwiches, you know, ate it up, you know, and then we put our worship music on. I'm like, Lord, just speak to us. Your servant is listening, Lord, speak to me. And you know what the Lord started to show us? He started to show us that if things were going to change in this church, it had to start with the culture. It had to start with the culture because we weren't going to be able to build if the, church, if the culture was not a healthy culture. So we needed to bring in health because healthy things grow. A healthy baby just grows. You don't need to force it to grow. It just grows. Healthy things grow and they grow naturally. So the Lord started to speak to me about setting a culture in place that would bring health. And he started to give me, not the Ten Commandments, all right? I did not come with ten stones, you know what I mean, with the two stones and written by the Lord. But he did give me ten values. Ten core values. And those ten core values, when I got them, you know, together with my wife, we're like, Lord, I think this is it. I think this is what you want us to do. So anyways, we came down from that mountain and we were so excited. And we got back. And we're like, you know what? We're going to put a definition to each of these core values. And then we're going to look for verses that go with each of them, you know, to reinforce them. And then we're going to take the team on a retreat. And we're going to take our pastoral team on a retreat. And we're going to break them up in groups. And we're going to let them get which core values of these speak to them. And how do we apply this? In it. And I was all about that. Actually, my first year as a pastor in 2011, the whole year, all right, each month we went through each of these core values. Because I knew that that's what was going to set, you know, the culture in place to bring health and to do everything that the Lord wanted to do here. And I just want to mention, okay, I just want to mention quickly which are these core values. Because I think it's important for each of you guys that are here, you guys that are watching at home, okay, dependence, honor, integrity, humility, obedience generosity, excellence, perseverance, gratitude, and generational mentality. These core values, church, have become an essence of who we are. Because let me tell you something, you don't build culture, you have to be the culture. You don't build it, okay? You don't build it. You have to be the culture. When we're talking about these core values and we talk about NUMA being a culture of fresh air, let me tell you something. These are values that I would see in Jesus' life, in his day-to-day walk, in his way of being. So in reality, we're talking about the life of Christ and the way that he walked here on earth, and these are values that you and I should manifest as Christians in our daily life, in our daily walk, wherever we go. Look what Romans 13, verse 14 says. Romans 13, 14 says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to his love. What does it mean to put on the Lord Jesus Christ? Do like I get Jesus and put him on like a 
sweater or something? Yeah, that's exactly what it says. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Every moment when you wake up in the morning, you, it's like if you got dressed with Jesus. And you say, today it is not me that is living, it's going to be you through me. I'm getting dressed with your life. I'm getting dressed with who you are. So when we talk about these values, and I want to take a quick moment, just a minute to touch on each of these. First, I talk about dependence. Why do I talk about dependence? Because the Bible says that we should depend on God 100%. The Bible says that you and I cannot do anything apart from Him. You imagine that? We can't do anything apart from Him. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. By the way, that's in John 15, 5. Those who remain in me and I remain in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What's nothing? Nothing is nothing. So apart from the Lord, can we do anything? No. Whatever we do is not going to work. That's why a lot of times we get into so much trouble because we try to do so many things apart from him. And the Lord's like, I'm not in that. But that's not today's preaching. I just want to tell you our core value of dependence. All right. Number two, honor. Honor. Now that Pastor Bill Johnson from Bethel, he says the following, talking about honor. He goes, the culture of honor is never built around what I need. It is built around what I could give. Isn't that beautiful? The culture of honor is not built around what I need. That's selfish. It's built around what I can give. And if I don't learn to give it to those who deserve it the least, I will continue to live in an environment without honor. To me, honor is simple. It's recognizing that each person is made in the image of likeness of Christ, of God. And I'm going to make sure that I honor that image in you. I'm going to honor the image. You're an image bearer of God. I'm going to honor the image that you bear. Whether I like it, I don't like it, I don't like this, I don't like that, I'm going to honor because I see my creator in you. That's what the culture of honor to me is all about. So honor, integrity. The third one, integrity. You know, that there's this phrase that says that everything rises and falls on leadership. And I want to rephrase that this morning. Because I believe that everything rises and falls on integrity-filled leadership. I've seen so many leaders without integrity just fall. I think that if we are leaders, and I want to tell you guys, everybody in this room, you are a leader, all right? And if you don't know that you are a leader, let me tell you, today is a step one of our growth track. Go do our growth track today. Because you're going to find out that you were created for leadership. Okay? Pastor, I'm not a leader. No, yes, you are. Because if you're made in the image and likeness of God, there's leadership qualities inside of you. But now, I want you guys to be leaders with integrity. What does integrity mean? That what you see is what you get. There's nothing hidden. There's nothing behind. There's nothing that I'm covering. It's one piece. It's one thing. That's what I'm talking to you about integrity. You're the same with all eyes on you or with no eyes on you. Okay? When you have integrity, and I want you to 
memorizes. When you have integrity, okay, more than half of your decisions are already made for you. When you have integrity, okay, your decisions mostly are made for you already because your integrity defines the decisions you're going to make. The Bible talks about Abraham being a man full of integrity. The Bible talks about Daniel saying that there was not, okay, there was the Spanish word, no hay tacha. There's nothing, there's not a lack, there's nothing that they can point at in Daniel's life. And if you want to find who is the model of integrity in all the Bible other than Jesus, it's Job. Okay, the book of Job is a book on integrity. All right, all these guys model that to us. All right, so integrity, humility. Okay, humility. I want to tell you something, and I know that this is going to come from the Lord right to your heart. Humility and brokenness are the keys to getting God's attention. This more, you know, when I was preparing this and I was reading over this message this morning, this is for somebody that has been trying to get God's attention. Humility and brokenness. If you walk in humility, if you walk in brokenness, let me tell you something. You'll get God to look at you. Humility, okay, true humility says, God, I am in this situation and I'm not even going to try to suggest an answer. Lord, whatever you say, Lord. Whatever you say, God, I will accept. The Bible says that God will not despise a broken and contrite spirit. He is attracted to anyone that cries to him for help. And Matthew 5, 5 says, God blesses those that are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. That beautiful. One of my pastors, Pastor Larry Stockstill, he says, that, this is a phrase that he says, I want to say this, a person who regularly gets on their face it is difficult to fall from that position. A person that regularly gets on their face is hard to fall from that position because you're constantly low. You're constantly low, all right? Obedience. I want to say that disobedience is entrenched in all of us. Disobedience is something that is part of our fallen nature. But let me tell you something, Numa Church, here at this church, we want to obey our daddy God in everything. His desires, his will. Worship team, you guys to start getting ready to come up. I want to tell you something about obedience. I was meditating on that this week. Obedience is not obedience. Listen to this until there's a different desire in your heart that comes against what is being told to you. Because when everything is going in the same direction, there's no need for obedience. You're just walking together with that person. But the moment that something contrary to what you desire or your will is, that's when obedience comes into play. If you're going to go ahead and receive what is being told to you, or if you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to disobey this. Actually, there's a scripture that I'm just going to throw out there. You guys meditate on this. The Bible says that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. Hold on. This is Jesus. What do you mean Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered? 
I just want to remind you that there was a moment that Jesus told the Father, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And the Father said, no. And I believe that what that scripture is referenced is that till that moment, God the Father and God the Son was always running on the same track. And for that instant, that moment, God the Son said, I want to go in this direction. And God the Father said, I want to go in that direction. And he learned obedience to say, okay, Father, not my will, but your will be done. I'm going to curve and go in that direction. He learned obedience through what he suffered. And we need to learn obedience too. Generosity has to do with understanding that God blesses you so that you could be a blessing to others. That's part of our culture here at NUMA. God blesses you so you can be a blessing to others. There's nothing greater than being a blessing to other people. Let me tell you that the most generous person that I know is God. You can't outgive God. And I want you to understand that you cannot outgive God. He is so generous. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, You know the generous grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, For your sake, he became poor, so that by his poverty, you were made rich. Wow, that's true generosity right there. And my prayer for NUMA, listen, is that NUMA would be one of the most generous churches in the whole United States. That's my prayer for this church. We would make a difference through our generosity, excellence. Let me tell you, when we speak about excellence, we're not speaking about perfectionism. Because perfectionism is when you compare yourself to another person, you're like, man, I got to do it better because that person's going to beat me out to the excellence. Doesn't compare yourself to another person. Excellence compares itself to itself. Listen to what I'm saying. Excellence says, this is what excellence says, how can I be a better version of me today? Not how can I be a better version of Marcela. Or how can I be a better version of Pastor Max? They're running their race. So let them focus on their race. I focus on me. How could I be better me today? Am I giving it all that I got? Or is there more in me that I could be giving? See, excellence doesn't look outward. Excellence looks inward. And here at NUMA, we're going after excellence. We're going after excellence. You look at Daniel in the Bible. The Bible says he had an excellent spirit. An excellent spirit. His excellence was above everybody else in that kingdom. Excellent spirit. The Bible talks about King Solomon. That what he did was so excellent in his kingdom that other kings would come to see what he was doing. And it says that the queen of Sheba looked at a staircase. There's a cat coming into the church over there. Look at that. Is that Ariel, baby? Did we bring Ariel? Look at that cat. Hay un gato que se está metiendo ahí en la iglesia. Mira, let the cats come in too. Everybody wants to hear the word of God. Jesus said, preach the word to all creation. He didn't say to all people, all creation. Uh-huh. <laughs> Jesus spoke to the trees. Jesus spoke to the wind. Jesus spoke to the fish. He said, come here, fishy. The whole boat got filled with fishies. That's the kingdom. So Listen. When we talk 
All right. About excellence. Not only the Bible says that Daniel had a more excellent spirit than everybody else that was there. The Queen of Sheba comes to see King Solomon's palace. And she looks at a staircase that he had made between the palace and the temple. And she's passing by the staircase and she goes, surely there's a God in Israel. Because no one could have done what you did here unless God was with him. You imagine looking at a staircase and you see excellence and it draws to God. And I want to, this morning, I want to honor somebody for their excellence here today. Manny, I want to honor you this morning for the wonderful job that you did with that food distribution yesterday through the missions team. Can we give it up for Manny and all the missions team? Missions team from Numa Church. Yesterday, my heart was so filled because I walked in here this mo in the morning. I came for prayer. Missions people were ready. We had over 70 of our dream teamers ready to serve our community by serving food to them. 70 dream teamers. You're not going to believe what happened. There was a pastor that was here with his wife and some of his team members. They're from another church. And that pastor came to talk to me and he goes, you're Pastor Chris, right? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, I watch your sermons. So maybe you're watching, Pastor. It's an honor to have you connected there. He goes, I watched your sermons. He goes, but being here today, I've seen the excellence with which you guys do the things. Please congratulate all those people that have been serving here today for me. Can we honor this morning the excellence? And I honor you, Papi, because you were leading that. So in the midst of everything we were talking about, God gets the glory, but you did a fantastic job. So thank you. And the last one. Well, perseverance, okay, perseverance, all I want to say about perseverance, nothing of value comes easy, guys. Nothing of value comes easy, all right? There's an example of perseverance that my wife see, and I see every Sunday coming here, every weekend. There's a guy that parks by our house right on the main street on 152nd Street, selling trees, all right, little trees for your garden, it could rain or shine, and that guy's out there selling trees. I'm like, this is amazing. I tell my kids, kids, look outside the car. You're watching an example of perseverance right now. That guy's out there trying to get his business going, rain or shine, trying to sell his little trees, pine trees, little different type of trees. Perseverance. Nothing worth having will come easy. Got to work for it. It's hard sometimes. You got to pay a price. You got to do things when no one is looking. You got to keep persevering. You got to keep trying. You got to keep going. Let me tell you something. This is for somebody that never take no for an answer. Don't take no for an answer. Wait for the answer that comes from heaven. And if heaven is saying yes and somebody's saying no, then you align yourself with heaven and you wait and you keep persevering. And the last one is generational mindset. Generational mindset. That has to do with, listen, 
This value has to do with understanding that you will run your race, but won't, it won't finish okay, with you. I want to close with this thought. We're all in a race. I started talking about that in the, in the, in the beginning of this message. The first church went before us. Believers, Peter, Paul, different people. Then you have different people throughout history. The second history, Eusebius, Clement, apostles, people that rose. And then you go to the 1800s. You have the Wesleys. You have, you know, Jonathan Edwards. You have people of church history. Smith Wigglesworth, people that I love. The Reverend Billy Graham. You know not none of those guys have received their price yet. You're like, hold on, they already died. What do you mean they didn't receive their price? No, because we're all in a race. When have you seen a relay race that when that runner finishes, he gets the price? In a relay race, all four runners need to finish. So then at the end of the race, all four runners get the prize together. You're running your lap now, and then you're going to wait. And you're going to look at the ones that are coming after you, and you're going to clap for them. You're going to cheer for them. And you're going to let them stand on your shoulders so that they can see further than you were able to see when you were standing. And then together, the Bible says that there will come a time when we will all stand before the throne of Christ, and we will all get our reward for what we did here on earth if it gave Him glory and it gave Him honor. That is generational mentality. We need each other. doesn't matter if they're older. I honor all the older people that are here this morning. No matter if they're younger, they're going to come after us. we got to set an example for them. But we're doing this together. We're in this race in the kingdom of God together. And these values that I've shared this morning, those are what make our culture here at NUMA. It's a fresh air culture. I want you to close your eyes right there where you're at. And there were your eyes closed. There's one more value that I didn't mention because I wanted it to mention now. But it's the value of gratitude. The value of gratitude. And I want you in your heart to think for a moment, how grateful are you with God for what he's done for you, for reaching you, for coming into your life for the second and third and fourth opportunities, for giving you new life, for giving you a purpose, for bringing you to be part of a spiritual family. I know people that are here this morning that their families are in other countries and the only family they have is this. Gratitude. Thank God right there where you're at. Thank God right there where you're at. Thank Him for what He's doing in you. Thank Him for His goodness on you. If you're a dad, a mom, a husband, wife, just thank God for your husband, for your wife. Thank God for your children. Thank God for His goodness, His favor, His mercy. 